Hello, good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Today, Gina Glamro and Jason Vaughn are not in studio. We are live on location in Missouri, America, with Pastor of Anchor Bible Church, Greg Peterson. Haha, welcome. It's good to have Greg in our live studio. Hello. In Missouri. Why are we in Missouri? We are here for our pastor's retreat. Yeah. Yeah. Because my church is not in Arkansas or is not in Missouri. Your church is not in Missouri. And my our church is not in Missouri. We're sitting around a lake. We need to set the city, the the scene for everyone here. We are sitting on the back porch. Yes, there are many a birds. Uh, last night, the great rustling of the leaves that sounded. I mean, in our minds, it was a wolverine <laughs> or uh, a mountain lion, even though there's no mountains. And in then the spotlight finally hit the source. of of much noise and it was in fact uh adilla armadilla adilla yeah <clears throat> so i don't even know that it, people in nevada know what that is do you know what an armadillo sound makes no do you i don't either i know i know that when it moves through the the leaves it's sounds like a tank it sounds like a tank <laughs> so if you were in the pitch black of night and you were sitting on the back porch with only the citronella candle to light your table, and you heard an armadillo wrestling in the leaves, you might think it's a wolverine. And so you might look for a gun. Um, oh, there's a helicopter flying over. Oh, you can hear it. Yeah, this is crazy. Oh, in fact, I think it flew over. I saw a shadow. So we are by the lake. Well, we're probably about uh, 50 yards from the lake. Maybe 75 mm-hmm. at a downward angle. Out in the forest. Out in the forest. Um, the wives are hanging out by the boats on the dock. Sitting on the dock of the bay. Mm-hmm. This is And this is why they don't ever let me lead the music. <clears throat> and uh, so we're outside. Gino's here. Uh, so we are, we are rolling along. And uh, we're here to talk to Greg about Anchor Bible Church and ministry. Uh, you know, little little fellowship here we pray for you often at cornerstone and so uh, if our people can kind of get an update of what's going on a lot has happened since we did this last year um probably your stories like i feel like cornerstone's kind of boring in some ways boring is good uh, no no i mean it's predictable yes we've been talking about this a little bit off and on uh, that's what we do at this retreat we talk about things we goof off for a bit we go back to talking about serious things uh, hopefully it's ironing, sharpening iron. Uh, it's good. We have we we have coffee this year. 
um, our coffee experience has required us to to elevate and bring out our natural best because we have phenomenal beans. Phenomenal from Onyx Coffee Lab yes. right here in well, not here, but in uh, Rogers, Arkansas. Yes, world renowned. If you don't know Onyx, go on to onyxcoffeelabs.com. I'm not advertising for them. I don't. I don't. I get no payment for this. Yeah, I want some kind of payment for this. I want. I, we're going to tell Onyx that we just spent 30 seconds talking about them on our podcast. We need to tag them. It's good. Yeah, um, we have an excellent grinder. We have three excellent brewing contraptions. We have coffee mugs. And then the one thing all three of us forgot to bring. That, I don't know if it's the most important thing to have, but it, it's pretty essential. It's pretty essential. <laughs> the scale. I, forgot. I have two scales at home. Yeah. And I didn't pack one because I was like, well, I know Greg has a scale. And they're still at home. They're still at home. Yeah. So Saturday we will have Wade coffee. Now, there's somebody listening to this going, what do you mean? I just put the pod in the thing, close the lid, hit start, and it goes. Heresy. Yes. No, no, the, the, you're not wrong. Um, but so, yeah, for us, we you, you just need to look up on YouTube, like third wave coffee, pour over coffee, and you'll kind of get a sense of what we do. Third wave, pour over, or just go to Onyx. Yeah. There's again, and they have uh, training videos. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Or send me a text, and I'll send you a link. Beautiful. Yep. I actually have a video on YouTube as well where I tried to help a friend make his own pour overs. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, we've all, yeah. But it's good. It's all right. We've had to weigh it out in our hands, go by sight and taste. And I think we've done a pretty good job for we have not having any idea how much, how many grams we're using. Yeah. Agreed. <clears throat> it, when I, when I first got into coffee, I was told you need to roughly know how much your hand can hold. And that was helpful. Because that that's kind of served as a anchor. Nice reference. Yeah, thank you. To my uh, to my to my coffee making. So, but it's good. Hey, we're having a good time. So, um, yeah, Greg, uh, Gino, and I probably have a list of questions. Not in any ranking order, naturally, because we don't rank things. I don't rank things. I don't like ranking things. Good for OU. OU's number one. Uh, Bills are number one. And Yankees are number one. Outside of that, I don't rank. I can agree with the Yankees. Thank you. I can go with that. Yeah, no, he's a Broncos fan. And currently an Avalanche fan. Well, I yeah, have been an Avalanche fan for a while. That makes sense. It's just been difficult to follow them. That's true. Now it's fun because they they'll be in the Stanley Cup this year. Yeah. 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 Not every not every not everybody has a sports franchise team that has made the playoffs every year of its existence. And this is the first time in the history of Las Vegas hockey that they have not made the playoffs. You guys have been a hockey franchise for what four years? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> phenomenal though. <laughs> I mean, these Talk little these little details, Greg. <laughs> the Avalanche were in the playoffs every single year the first uh, eight years of their existence. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Won you, the, they won the Stanley Cup the first year, which you guys failed to do. We did, if I remember correctly. But so in twenty some odd years, come back and tell me how your franchise. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is to use that joke on Detroit Red Wings guys. Oh, because, yeah. you know, that program's got, got a history of Stanley Cups. Yeah, it does. In the 70s. Yeah. Oh, no, they had that run in the 90s. I know. Come on, Stevie yeah. Eiserman, Fedorov. I know. The Avalanche and the Red Wings were a rivalry Lindstrom. in the Man, those late guys. 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, those guys were. Yeah, I remember that. Well, okay. So, 
we're here. We're live. We should get into this. Uh, normally, we don't banter this much at the beginning of the podcast, but just to set the stage for where we're at, what we're doing. So, Greg, uh, give us a little update on how Anchor's doing. Uh, what's 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 recently going on with you guys? You planted a little, year and a half ago now, right? Yeah, we planted in July of 20. Okay. Which, dope. if yeah. uh, all of you remember, that's when uh, all the COVID crazy was really starting to take off, and we decided to plant a church. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, nobody planted us. We planted ourselves, and um, Brad, Arnold, and myself, we, we had sheep that... Uh, Wanted to be shepherded by us, and so we said, "You guys are crazy, but okay." And so we just started teaching the Bible, and uh, we started First Thessalonians because First Thessalonians is a was a young church, and they were a faithful church. Paul had very little negative to say on them, so we wanted to start there, and um, then we gave them a good ecclesiology, and then we taught through James. Well, this is all Brad teaching mainly, but then taught through James just to give a. a, a understanding of true belief as well as a wise life and then uh where did we go from there well we we eventually ended up in first timothy because we wanted to start working on some biblical leadership and and then halfway through that series uh the lord decided to take brad home Mm. Uh, brad had a planned heart surgery and that planned heart surgery uh went south for us went north for him um, and um, after three weeks, he went to be with the Lord. So that left me here uh, as of January of this year, January 22. Wow, yeah. Uh, by the way, this is the other guy on the podcast here today, Gino. Gino? Um, I know, two mics. Um, but the uh, first time I met Brad, two pastors retreats ago when you guys August, preached, yeah, preached for 20. us at the camping. That was Great time together, and then last year, um, such a wealth of wisdom and experience and, and knowledge, uh, and just a sweet guy, um, and yeah, just, he should be here right now, but God had other plans. I mean, we want him here, obviously, but God had other plans. Um, yeah, I had 10 more years of plan with him, at least. Yeah, yeah. And he was gonna, he was gonna do all kinds of great stuff, and I was just gonna be his co-pastor, and Man makes plans, and the Lord sets our steps, right? <laughs> or finishes our steps. The cool part about all that is one of my churchmen reminded me at the after Brad's funeral that we got to see Brad at the height of his sanctification before he was glorified. Yeah. Which is kind of a neat thought. Yeah. One of the, um, yeah, we, and we shared some just really great moments with him. Um, I'm, I, it was a privilege for me to be around him just for that short time, and I, I felt like, you know, those short moments with him was, and, and even Jason would say the same thing, uh, were, were such a treasure for us. So, you know, we miss you, Brad. See you soon one day, and uh, wish you were here. Yeah, he was a treasure. So so since then, since uh, January, then uh, I've become the main teacher. Well, I'm the only pastor now at our church, and um, I've been took over the teaching, picked up right where Brad left off in First Timothy 4, which uh, was really interesting, uh, if I can tell this real quick, that the beginning of chapter 4, Brad preached a two-part series on why good ministers matter, talking about that they point out false teaching and they teach right teaching and they give an example of of, um, to the flock. That's how he finished. That was his last message, was why good ministers matter, which was like a swan song of his life. Right. Because he was a good minister. 
the very next section is the responsibilities of a young pastor for his church. Wow. And you had to preach that. And I had to preach that. So I spent seven weeks in that chapter just ripping apart for myself and then uh, 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 these sermons and then giving them to our congregation. But it was like, I just kept telling them, I'm really preaching to myself here. And if you, if you want to listen in, that's great. But I need, I need to learn these things. Wow. So God planned that out really, really providentially for me. Well, the beauty is like Brad left you with an, with an example. Yes. I mean, it was there, I think one of the questions I wanted to ask is, you know, you, you're, you probably knew him the best Mm -hmm. and, um, probably have the treasure of knowledge that he's passed on to you. Um, Maybe what are, can you share some things that you, you know, just from his ministry that have just so affected you and influenced you uh, and really is the, you know, maybe the heartbeat of the church? Yeah. Uh, a couple things sort of stick out. I don't, I don't know if there's any necessary order to this. I've, I think these are all important. Um, you know, Brad was really, he, he, he taught me that if anybody in the church wants to get together with you, it doesn't matter the agenda. You go meet with them. Uh, because you need to shepherd them. So even if they have a negative agenda uh, and they're very explicit about that or not, you need to go be with them and you need to hear them out and, and you need to care for them even if it's even if it's negative. And that's been very helpful to me uh, to kind of put to kind of humble myself and say, I need to care for them even if they have a, a negative agenda because they're they're part of the flock. Uh, and another thing he he taught me and he and he taught this, you know, more so by example, but he continued to teach me to be under the authority of the word, that, that my place in the pulpit is not for my agenda. Uh, it is for Christ's agenda, and he's given me his agenda in the word. So to get away from that is um, is doing damage to the pulpit. Um, let let God change people by his word. And um, if people don't, that's that's not the word's fault necessarily, but... As in order to be a faithful minister, you need to keep getting up there and preaching the word, preaching the word, preaching the word, preaching the word over and over again, and uh, that's been sweet. So those are the kind of two things that kind of pop off the top of my head. Um, you know, he 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 loved people, he loved the church, he loved Christ, he loved his word. Um, but um, yeah, he he never said no to people. It was it was fascinating. He was, he was always a shepherd. I said this at his funeral. He was always a shepherd. Even when people didn't want him around or shepherding them, he was always shepherding people. So that was that was that's that. Those are two th- main things of, of legacy. I think he he left me anyway, and I was with him in ministry for uh, almost eight years. So previous church we were together, and then this this church plant. Yeah, it's wonderful. That's you know you think maybe Paul and Timothy, probably about that long. I don't know that we have a definitive record of how long they were together, but it seems like long enough for Paul to leave him in Ephesus and send him other places. And Well, it really, I think it really, our relationship really became sort of a Paul Timothy sort of thing. He was just infusing into me by mainly example, not a lot of teaching necessarily of intentional, here's pastoral discipleship, you know, just watching him and taking notes and, seeing how he does things and why he does those things. And occasionally I would ask questions about stuff and that would always lead to really helpful things. Yeah. It's interesting because I think discipleship, um, you know, when I was younger, I thought of it as this like, 
hey, we got to formally have a discipleship. So if we're going to get together, what are we going to read? We got to read something together. And yet what I've learned and, and what you just experienced is that a lot of discipleship is both caught and taught. And that you have this like, you know, yes, somebody's teaching. And yes, you're both coming under the authority of the word. And as you try to figure out how the word applies and, and what's a way to, to walk in wisdom to serve God and to honor God. And yet the same token, you when you're running around with older, not necessarily even age older, just more mature believers, you see how the word has changed them and, and leads them to make the decisions they make. And so even then there there is the there's a little bit of a caught essence to that. And that caught not taught is not necessarily like, you know, what we mean what I think I mean by that is you're caught in the sense that you're in the same room with them and you're spending time with them and you're kind of doing life together, even if you're even if you're only seeing them twice a week because of your busy each of your busy duties you know, when you first met, he had duties, you had duties. And so you, you can't be together the whole time. But when you are together, you start to see how the other guy functions and how the other guy does what he does. And then questions come and comments come and you're listening to his preaching. And so what's interesting to me is it's not like what you and Brad had is more unique than what I think you as a church are trying to do even in your own ministry. Right, like they're like you guys are pretty big on the one anothering and the fellowshipping together. Yeah, we we may, we we tell our folks at the end of every service that the fellowship after the service is part of your worship to God, because all those one another's are, and, and we give them a whole list of those at membership to put in their Bibles and keep there and pray over those. But that's part of your worship just as much as hearing the word and being under its authority and worshiping through music or worshiping through scripture reading. All of the elements of our gathering are worship to God, including the fellowship, which is the one anothering. And our, our folks have grabbed onto that and run with it and they, they love each other. And I think that's just a, 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 a fruit. This is, this has been, we keep talking about a lot of our ministry at this point is the fruit of Brad's ministry to us. And so he's, he's gaining the reward now for all of this, but for us, it's happening in time. Yeah. You know that, and it's interesting because you even said this, uh, in the car ride the other day that, um, even at some level you find out that there was somebody that had a need in the church, but you find out after the fact when another member met the need. Yep. So it's not just that like your people are showing up Sunday viewing Sunday as the day of the Lord's. And so we do this worship thing on Sunday, then go back to our regular scheduled life Monday to Saturday. They're taking those one another's home with them where they're then putting them into action, whether it be with their spouse, their kids or one another. Right. Yeah. For them, it's like a culmination of what they've been doing all week. So it's not so much about a recharge to get through the week, although I think that's probably true too. It's more of like a culmination. We've been they've been fellowshipping in various smaller ways all the way through the week. And then Sunday is the is the day we all get to be together. Yeah. That this is and this is where our churches are very like minded, by the way. And so I know I know there's gonna be a lot of cornerstone people who listen to this and go, That's what we do. Yeah. And I think that's what's cool is to sometimes you wonder like 
because in, in, in Vegas, now I'm got what I'm about to say, I feel like I'm slightly uneducated to say it because I don't really have, um, I don't study other churches if that makes sense. Like I don't, I don't sit down and like, Hey, what, what do other, what do other churches do? But I've heard enough people say, Hey, we've never really been a part of a church that does things like this, that emphasizes these one another's. And I think you have a similar story, right? Like you, you kind of are hearing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we're again, we're in the South. So, so we're in a Bible belt. I did a study a couple of years ago that from our, our the church we were at at the time, there were fifty in a fifty mile radius. There were one hundred and fifty evangelical churches, which is almost an insane amount. But, um, yeah, it, the the fellowship is is such a big deal that people they they see some of that in other churches apparently, but they don't see it as intensely done or as intensely focused or or emphasized to the people around them. And so because of that, they, they have found a joy in one another is kind of the idea. And which they never had before. Everything was like, do this, do this, do this in the church and this in the church and this in the church and not just go be with these people because these are your people. Yeah. Now that's interesting because you know what, when you think about the church and our mission of making disciples, like there's actually this fellowship is very connected to our understanding of the gospel. Uh-huh. So maybe, maybe Gino, I'll have you explain it from, from our perspective, but Greg, how, how does like, like if somebody came up to you and said, Hey, I love all this fellowship stuff, but I, you know, connect the dots for me to the gospel. Is that a fair question? Yeah. Well, okay. uh, well and that, that got found in our purpose. Honestly, when we, when we, set out to make a purpose statement whether you have one as a church or not is irrelevant but i want we wanted to have one and so so our church we say that our purpose and we do this every time we get new members we all say this together that our our the purpose of a rank revival church is to be bible centered and the next thing is gospel living uh the third thing is disciple making um by the power and gifting of the holy spirit uh, under the headship of Christ to the glory of God. So we're trying to be Trinitarian in that way. Um, but gospel living. So so that's what we're trying to be. We're not just trying to be gospel-knowledged or even necessarily gospel-centered, although maybe gospel-centered might mean gospel living. We just want to let people know that the, that when you come to know Christ and when you're in Christ, it changes then the way that you live your life. Uh, and that also includes then your fellowship with one another. So understanding who you are in Christ, not just the forgiveness of your sins, but now that you have his righteousness and now you can say no to sin and now you need to serve people because that's what Christ did. You get to be like Christ to others. That that finds itself to be true in our church first and then works itself out. Uh, uh, Brad, at some point uh, during, we did a, a gospel series uh, a year ago where we went back and forth, just talked about the basis of the gospel, and then we talked about Jesus talking about Jesus, Jesus doing evangelism, and we talked about the Christ's apostles doing, uh, or talking about Christ. We did this. And Brad just mentioned, and I thought it was good from John, talking about that when we love one another, that's how the world knows that we belong to Christ. So loving one another, fellowship with, with one another, caring for one another, 
because of what Christ has done for us, is actually evangelism. And so that's where the gospel comes. So the gospel is always lived out, and it's proclaimed in the way that our folks live toward one another. So the gospel has to be centered in that way, but it has to be lived out. So the gospel must be lived uh, in order to be uh, life-changing and evangelistic. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, <clears throat> we're, we're currently going through a book, Crossing Christian Ministry, which is uh, by D.A. Carson's super helpful book. And what, what we're really talking about is... Um, you know, gospel living, gospel-centered ministry, Christ-centered. Um, I, I, you know, if you were to summarize it, uh, a way to summarize it in an illustration is what Paul did in First Corinthians three. Uh, agriculturally, you know, you're always sowing uh, and watering. And if you think about it, like the seed of the gospel is what causes someone to be born again. And not only does it cause someone to be born again, but it's actually the source of our encouragement as well every day. So not only do we sow to non-believers, but we're continuing sowing the gospel uh, even to believers. And we're either sowing or watering that or encouraging that. And that looks like teaching, that looks like encouragement, that looks like practical helps, that looks like just loving somebody. Um, I think that's just a great illustration. And then God is the one who gives the increase uh, through the Holy Spirit, which is I mean, it's really fascinating. So like if you summarize it, right, like Paul, like it's such a great uh, simple illustration, but if you were to summarize what ministry looked like, looked like it's uh, it's sowing and watering, and it's always doing that. Even when you're in fellowship, right? You're amongst other believers. Um, uh, you do this enough, you don't realize it, but you're actually sowing the gospel and you're watering that. You're watering that seed. You're you're helping people uh, know Christ more in, in a u- unique way. And we're so all gift. We're also gifted differently uh, and uniquely that. Um, like it's like to not uh, partake in the gift that, like, let's say you have tor- towards uh, myself and Jason uh, would be to neglect the Holy Spirit's work, you know, through you. And so when we're in fellowship, like, hey, when you're intentional and understanding that the Spirit is actually working uh, in the gospel and in the truth, uh, God does something miraculous. Miraculous. He He causes the growth, which is beautiful. I mean, that's that's the whole goal. We're trying to. Um, right, we're trying to teach so that we can mature the saints to do the work of ministry. Yeah, and that goes back to our purpose statement again at Anchor Bible Church that we're not just gospel living, we're disciple making. Disciple making is not just evangelization, although that's part of it. We are teaching each other because discipleship is learning. We're teaching each other to rely more on Christ and to go back to Him. That's disciple making, and that is done by the power and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. So, we're not getting rid of the Spirit. We're living by the Spirit in order to do what the gospel has called, or has called us now to do. And uh, we've seen that. And I'm, like I said, we're in First Timothy now. And uh, getting it, we just finished chapter 5. And, and you have all this, though the gospel isn't necessarily explicitly shown in the sense of like, here's the gospel. It does talk about how to interact with each other. So at the beginning, it talks about rebuking brothers you don't go up to them and just ream on them because of what they did was wrong. What they did was wrong and sin and evil, but you appeal to them in certain ways. You appeal to them the way Christ did, older men as fathers, older women as mothers. So you're honoring them. You're caring for them. You're not looking, you're not looking down on them, despising them. And then younger men and women as sisters and brothers. So you're equaling the being equal uh, on, in plain. And that's what Jesus did again. He said, these are my brothers. 
And so the gospel changes your relationship even when it comes to something as nasty as confronting sin, right? So, um, and of course it goes on to talk about widows and all that kind of thing. But even that text right there, the gospel changes the way that we interact with each other even in, in uh, situations where we've done sin against one another. The gospel informs us to treat each other either both with honor but also as brothers and sisters in Christ, caring for one another, wanting the best, serving one another, not just going after each other, showing how bad we are, sort of like uh, people do with Twitter. You know, it's interesting because we talk a lot about there are some cultures in the world that are shame-based cultures. And and so in a shame-based culture, you know, if I'm walking along and I see a purse on the street, uh, I don't pick up the purse and rob from the purse because potentially that will come back on me and not only shame me, but potentially shame my own family, which could end up causing other people in my family to lose their jobs or to lose their honor or all sorts of things, right? And so the community gets the community maintains a unity or a uniformity or a cohesiveness based on that shame. But we are not a part of that community because of shame. We are all there because we admitted our sinfulness. We admit our rebellion. And all of us in the community of the church who are right are believers because we said we know we need Jesus Christ. And we cried out to him for mercy and grace and found the mercy and grace we needed. And so now when we serve one another, it's not to shame them into conformity of the church. It is because that's what's actually good for that person. Yep. Right. And so in my, in my scenario, the reason I don't take your purse is because that's your money to take care of your family. So now I may pick up your purse to see whose purse it is to contact and be like, hey, Miss Smith, I found your purse uh, and all your money, and I know you probably need that to take care of your family. And so what's better for you is that you get your purse back. And it's interesting, right, because you think about the church, our identity, and I, I do think this is sometimes a missing element in Christianity, is all, we are all, every member who's a believer Right. And, and Lord willing, that's a hundred percent of the members are believers. Our identity is we are children of God and we are, we are united to Christ. And so that's our identity. It's not that we're conservatives, liberals, moderates, um, Americans, Arkansans. How do they say that? Arkansans. Arkansans. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like Kansans with an arc. With an R. With an R. They're like, yeah, that Kansas with an R. I like it. Um, but but that's not their identity. Their identity is solely when God looks at them, he sees, he sees my child. And so our communities are bound together by the union of Christ, which is central to the gospel. Yeah, and we and we see that in in First John, of course. We're we're called to love one another because love is from God. And we love because he first loved us. How did he first love us? He sent his son to be the propitiation. This is 1 John 4.10. To be the propitiation for our sins. And the application is verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
in the gospel, by saving us in Christ, we ought. That's and that's and that is it's a necessity. We ought to love one another. So the gospel immediately informs us that says we've been loved by God to the infinite eternal amount because we're saved uh, into eternity and therefore we can now love we we have to love one another because God has loved them he has loved me that motivates me so the gospel is motivating uh, in our church to fellowship with one another care for one another even in in situations that are awkward or that are sinful or just joy just wanting to go out of your way to, to care for somebody so that's why gospel living for us was was such an important phrase in our purpose because we wanted to let people know that the gospel is not just a bunch of information. Rather, it's, it's, it's what we do. It's what we live out because that's what God has done for us in Christ. Yeah, and that's, that's a really important point too. Um, you know, you mentioned Twitter, and we, we kind of talked about this before because uh, I think the three of us are not um, Twitter guys, and, and that – that's not like I, I don't want to say that and and I from from here from this point on in the conversation just to be clear we we're not we're not trying to belittle or criticize or critique or insult those those pastors that feel like they need to engage on Twitter yeah. or even other Christians I, I think that's that's a fair assessment um, but I know I know you are not like you're you're kind of like we're all like-minded in this that you're not going to find tweets on your Twitter account or when mine was open or tweets on my account that we're trying to discuss whatever hashtag issues available today. So walk, walk me through your thinking, like why, why that approach? Or is it, is it not, or even is it like, Hey, it's not, and it's not like an intentional thing. Maybe it's just that you're so focused on something else. Like, like walk me through like that, that thinking for you. Yeah, this is actually another Bradism for me. Uh, if you want to talk about things I learned from Brad, he never said this directly, um, but well, he 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 didn't talk about Twitter directly. Uh, when I'm on Twitter, I pretty much uh, engage. I I look at mainly sports stuff, um, or pay attention to Lloyd Legalist, for example. Also, not getting paid by him, uh, but I, maybe I should. All these I'm giving all these advertisements out for free. <clears throat> anyway, great, it, it, real fun. Um, but uh, you know, I Twitter has be the problem with writing sometimes generally, especially for us uh, outside of scripture, which is perfect. <laughs> uh, writing for us, uh, even emails, is that you miss tone and you miss out on the face-to-face interaction and the relationship with people, and those then people think they can hide behind their words and say whatever they want, and it's okay somehow. And part of the, part of the issue that, that I have with, with Twitter outside of that, and Jesus will judge us for all of our words, including our written words. He, you know, for, for you know, my Twitter account's going to come up before Jesus someday, and I have to give account for it, as, as does everybody. Whatever you write on Twitter, you have to hold account for it. So I'm very careful in that sense, and there have been... Lots of times I've started writing a tweet or write an email or whatever, and I've had to stop and repent because I don't that that's unnecessary. But going back to the Bradism, you know, Brad was as a pastor, he was focused on his church, 
and the issues of his church. And a lot of the a lot of the large stuff that runs around Twitter in in bigger evangelicalism or just some of the controversies um, aren't affecting my church at all in any respect. Maybe one or two people even know they exist. And so to me, I can shepherd those one or two people to think biblically without having to make it a whole issue in my church. And um, so other other guys who have bigger voices, who are reaching more people, are going to speak on those things, and maybe they are the right people to do that. Uh, that's before them and the Lord. But for me, I, you know, I want to keep a, a pulse on my church, understanding what God and the Spirit are doing in my church, and I want to make sure we're dealing with the issues there, the actual issues there, and not bring in some other stuff. I realize things like, like CRT are, are are a big deal, and and we need to be able to think critically about it. But if I got a whole church of people who have looked into it and they understand it biblically, and they don't have any questions about it, and they know how to think through it, then I I don't feel like I need to work a sermon series on that, because they're doing it right already, uh, because we've already trained them as disciples and as sheep to go back to what God's word says about these things. And they've done that. And so when they don't, when they haven't done that, I can address that. And, or they don't know how to do that. I can address it. And so I'm, I, the focus is not really <clears throat> on trying to deal with the latest and greatest issue, even though some of these are significant issues, it's trying to figure out the pulse of my church and address the issues that actually come up to people who want to live their life daily um, they want to know what God's word says for me this week and, and, oh, okay, well, this guy said this, well, is that biblical? And they, they've learned how to do that. And so, and so I haven't needed to, and maybe that's just where I'm at in our church. And that's a blessing that I don't need to, but that is what Brad did. He, he, he rarely ever got to large issue things that are happening on Twitter because he didn't have Twitter that I know of. And, and he just didn't want to have to deal with the big issues if they weren't affecting his church. He wanted to deal with continuing to work through Scripture, letting the Spirit deal with the, their hearts, and as issues came up, he would address them individually. Well, it's amazing uh, how the, you know, teaching our people who Christ is, who God is, who the Trinity is, how, it, how they operate, their character, uh, how the gospel is central, is robust enough for them to then take and then critically think about the world and, and make up, their own mind so that you're not force feeding any conclusions, but you're, you're actually helping them to think rightly um, because we are, because we are believers who, you know, who ought to walk by the spirit and to walk by the spirit really means to understand what, how he thinks, how he moves. And we're only going to know that if we know the scriptures because that's the heart and mind of God. So yeah, we, we give that to them. Right. And uh, we help them to not, we don't just like give, uh, when we preach the text, we're preaching the, the actual argument of the text. And people learn, you know, uh, how how Paul thought through his his issues. And believe it or not, the, fun, the crazy thing is you can actually apply that today. Yeah, it's, um, you know, when you read the epistles, Paul had the same problem. It wasn't life, like he was living in a culture where the government was perfect, the culture was perfect, the media was perfect, right? And so he's he doesn't need, you know, it's not like he's like, hey, I don't have anything to address but the gospel. 
You know, so it's not like he's, it's not like he wakes up on Monday. He's like, man, everything's so perfect. Let's talk about the gospel. And I think that's the one thing that, that I, that I want to encourage our church is you can get sucked into the Twitter world and you can look up and you can be fighting on the biblical side of these issues. And yet you can still be devoid of the gospel because you, it is possible that the fight for insert issue has become so prevalent that you've forgotten there's unbelief that still exists in your life and you still need to make Jesus Christ the center. And even if you persuade somebody to a, to the right answer, the biblical just righteous answer, it doesn't actually mean you've won them to Christ. And so a lot of people are going to stand before the Lord and go, well, hey, Lord, I changed my view on abortion. Or, hey, Lord, I, I, I changed my view on, on divorce or, or whatever issue. And the question's still going to be, but who do you say I am? And, and the one thing I, I've come to really love about Paul, in 1 Corinthians 1, you know, 1, 18 and following, it says, I came among you, I only want to know Christ and him crucified. But then in your book, 1 Timothy, there's this line where he says, you know, hey, you stay in Ephesus and instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless, endless genealogies, which give rise to mere spec- speculation. And so to me, that's even a warning that our hearts are very prone as believers to leave the gospel and to start pursuing other things. Whereas he says, rather, um, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so even in that, I still feel like my job is, hey, when we stand in the pulpit and preach, and I know your sermons are 45 minutes to an hour, and so are mine, that may be the, in Piper's words, that may be the only hour this week that somebody in the church faced the glory of God. And that that's kind of the one problem with, with the culture debates on social media, not just Twitter, but Facebook and Reddit and other places, is that you can completely get lost in those debates, and what really got lost was the gospel. And yet what Paul is saying is, hey, you've got to double down and keep the main things the main things. You know, and again, I think I think Paul's letters are a good example of that, that, again, he could have talked about how atrocious the Caesars were. I mean, if you go read Suetonius's 12 Caesars, that is not a, that's a rated R plus book with some of the things those Caesars, and everybody knew it. Any any of the Caesars, they're they're just garbage. Yes, yeah, X-rated. Yes, trash. And there was no appealing to the government for like a redress, like we can do, you know. Yes, yeah, but he still chose. Hey, look, I write to you about Jesus Christ and the gospel, and do you re- almost like do you remember where your faith is? Do you remember where your hope is? You know, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And if I stay, that's that's better for you. And if I go, that's better for me. But, you know, Lord willing, you know, he's going to do whatever God wants to. But so I think there's something there that, that you need churches. Um, I I actually have come to, to even respect pastors who, who, who are like, and maybe it's just because I want to be this way. And maybe maybe we're missing something. But but even to know that Brad for thirty years 
kept the same resolve. And you look in Brad's wake, and there is fruit from that ministry. And the fruit that you meet that has been a part of that ministry is in line with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, which just makes you think he's doing, he did something right in, in that endeavor. And, you know, man, there's people that are going to go, that are going to like, Hey, who do you say I am? You're Jesus Christ. I, you know, and it's going to be because they heard it from the Brad's and the, and the, and you and, and other people and other pastors in this world who, who will never know on Twitter, but that's okay. Yeah. And, and again, looking at, looking at the, even at the end, you talked about first Timothy one, you know, talking about living or getting rid of men who are not teaching the gospel at the end of the book is the same thing. Guard what's entrusted to you. And he goes, and he doesn't say guard the gospel, but that's what he means because the next thing he says is what he said in first Timothy one, avoid worldly empty chatter and opposing arguments. What's falsely called knowledge, which some profess have gone astray from the faith, which sounds like a condemnation on Twitter, by the way. Right. Uh, so, but he does this all over the place. Take the worst church in in Paul's epistles, whether that's the church in Galatia or the Corinthian church, which are probably the two worst. And both times, the first thing he appeals to is the gospel. Even take some of the best churches, Philippians, and your your text there that you talked about to live as Christ to die as gain. The Paul's in prison, and he went on to say it was actually for the good of the gospel. And yeah. so he's back to the gospel again. And he just he he harps at this, and even even outside of Paul, you're in, into Peter. You know Peter's whole epistle, his first one, is all about the gospel and living it out, especially in the midst of suffering. So it's the gospel again and again and again and again, and we I don't think we can get enough of it. And you know we we've talked about um, even this weekend about these these techniques that pastors come up with that are worldly, and and they're trying to. For whatever motivation, maybe it's they want more people in their church, or they're trying to be cool. I, I don't, I don't know what their motivation is, but they get get away from the gospel. And Paul and Paul and the, and the apostles never got away from the gospel. Uh, and when they did, they got called out on it, like like Paul had to do with Peter. And Peter repented, of course, because he got away from the gospel in Galatians chapter two. So, so again, we're, we're gospel focused but we're also gospel living and if we get away from the simplicity of that and it is simplicity it's not easy because we're dealing with our sin right yep. um, but it's the simplicity of the gospel that we need to continue to put before our people as pastors and and that's where the accountability is going to come in i think when when someday when we come to stand before jesus at the bema seat He's going to judge us based on, did you keep bringing the gospel back to bear upon your people's lives? And that's what motivates me. You know, that's where preach the word comes in, in season and out of season, um, uh, in, in 2 Timothy 4. And and the verse before that talks about, you will stand in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and you are commanded, because they're your boss, to get the gospel to people. And so I can't get away from that. You know, Brad didn't get away from that. He was he was um, he was uh, pushed out of a couple churches because of his relentless uh, pursuit of making sure the gospel was in place in those pla- in those places, and by God's grace, he got to end his um, his his race in a church that, again, by God's grace, was living out the gospel, and he he was so happy 
um, I never saw him that happy um, to, to be among people who, who would love each other because of the gospel and come to church every week uh, and sit under the teaching of the word in order to learn how to live out the gospel more. And I, I'm so thankful that God did that for him because you have guys in church history that they died and there was all controversy going on around them. But, but Brad was able, by, again, by God's kindness and mercy, to end his time on earth with a church that loved Christ and loved the gospel. And I, I, get, to, I get to be the shepherd of that now and, and the blessing that has come from the fruit of his ministry. By the way, First uh, Corinthians 3 is, again, relevant because that second part there ta- talks about uh, the church being a building. And uh, what Brad did there for 30 years was that he was building with precious stone with precious materials, gold, silver, precious stone, instead of, you know, wood, hay, and straw. And that's exactly what that, that, that verse is talking about, is actually, what are you building, you know, especially for us, right, as, as pastors, what are we focusing on? What are we building? Well, obviously, we've got to build on Jesus Christ. If you're not building on, on, on Christ, everything else doesn't matter. But yeah, you have the gospel, Christ laid as a foundation now, what do you build upon it? Are we are we still continuing with the gospel and making it central? Because I think that's what the gold, silver, and precious stones is. Um, we build on Christ. We can continue to sow and continue to water. Um, and it's all those elements of the gospel. It addresses every single element of the way we live, think. Um, it's weird because it's like the longer you know, we do this, it's like, oh, it's just it's the gospel. It's the gospel again and again and again. And uh, so it, it's so fascinating that um, you start with the gospel, you continue with the gospel, you end with the gospel, and God is glorified. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why Brad, a year ago, wanted to just walk our church through the gospel. Even if, you know, it's, it's information that we know, walk it through again because they need to hear it and see it again and then see how the Bible talks about the gospel so that we can live out the gospel. And that was a really impactful sermon series for our, our church to begin to walk through that whole concept of, 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 of that four, that easy four point gospel presentation of God and man and Christ and repentance. And then to see that in the apostles lives and see that in Christ's life as he's preaching the gospel. And then, uh, Actually, Brad, interestingly, Brad ended that whole sermon series on uh, prayer and reminding ourselves that even our proclamation of the gospel is uh, God's doing still. And I, I loved that. I was so thankful. I didn't know how he was going to wrap the whole thing up, and, and he didn't tell me uh, before he preached his sermon. And we got together every single week to talk about these things, and that it was a perfect ending. It was a perfect uh, summation of from the beginning that the gospel, that our lives are for God's glory, and he ended it with being still dependent upon God. And I, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, we could, we could do a whole podcast just on, on, on Brad's example, but he had 30 years of faithfulness, and uh, his life was just one faithful moment after another. He wasn't perfect. We, I mean, we know that, and and I'm sure, you know, there there are things that he did wrong, and he had to repent from, because well, he, he was a man. Well, he was a Texas A&M fan. That was pretty bad. Well, he was from Texas. That was also, yes. the, he's also a Dallas Cowboys fan. Yeah, that, see, oh, yeah, so many problems. Am I hitting anybody at your church? Do you got any Cowboy fans? Oh, uh, I got one, but I, it's too I don't think he likes to confess it anymore. <laughs> oh, no, we got two. <laughs> it's, 
It's brutal. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, but... I know. Well, I mean, you know, God did say the not many mighty, the not many wise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I love the way that he ended that because that's what um, Carson in that in the second chapter on the Holy Spirit talks about. That if you understand the Holy Spirit's role in ministry, it actually drives you to pray because you realize you're sharing information about the gospel with individuals. And by the way, this what we're talking about, about sharing the gospel, is not just pastoral ministry. Like I think all the time, if all of a sudden I had to get a real job and do do different work, like I still think my life would be, the one thing I've learned from pastoral ministry is, man, infuse everything with the gospel. And you just preached on this too, on how the gospel should change the way you work. And, First Timothy 6. Yeah, and so... Right, so it's not that hey, oh, the pastors need to talk about gospel. It's that believers need to be about the gospel, and so here we're just being chief example officers in the church, according to scripture. We are elders are our chief examples, First uh, Peter five and First Timothy three, and it does drive you to depend because you realize, hey, we're sharing this basic information that even unbelievers can can hear about, oh, Jesus, oh yeah, he came in the flesh, he died in our place, and he was resurrected. But it takes the Holy Spirit to make you go, oh, that's what I need. You know what, Lord? I will confess everything to you and turn to you for faith and hope, and I will happily turn from my sins because you're far better. And it that without the work of the spirit that doesn't happen. Yeah, and and what's cool about that is is I've seen in ministry now I've been in ministry long enough, not just in this church but other churches where you see people in the church go through something traumatic and very hard and they they then get the they counseled with the gospel and they push on they push on it and and, and so in a lot of ways hard from it. And they go try to find some worldly advice and worldly counsel and and all this other such. And in time, I've come to find that if they're true believers, what ends up happening is they come back to the gospel. And I've seen it where it's been two, three years, and they hear a sermon and that is, again, gospel-centered uh, and talks about gospel living. And all of a sudden, a light comes back on in their head, again, by God's grace— and by the Holy Spirit's work, that this is where I need to be living. I need to be living. the. It is actually that simple, and it does inform this difficult situation that I just that I'm going that I've gone through and I'm still going through and still reeling from. But the the gospel still rests my soul and teaches me how to live by uh, by it. And and that's been that's been sweet and precious to see in people's lives. And and again, that's not necessarily because I'm brilliant because I'm not I'm 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 a doofus and I'm so thankful for the word <laughs> so that I can just keep preaching it yep. and God will change things. So you know again been around long enough for that to see it and it really is sweet to to watch people finally just calm down and know understand better and deeper the gospel both in their mind and in their living. You know we you mentioned suffering a couple times and just just by way, because, you know, somebody listening to this may say, hey, you guys talk a lot about how the gospel should impact the way we think. So let's get pastoral here. Let's let's take a pastoral case. And and the only thing I want to do here, if and we didn't talk about this pre-recording, so oh boy. Uh, putting these guys on the spot. Let's see what comes out. <laughs> um, but, but suffering. 
how does the gospel help us understand suffering? And and maybe let's let's even get specific. Let's take an issue. Uh, I'm gonna go through my head a couple issues. All right, I'm gonna settle on this one. How does a right understanding of the gospel help us understand somebody who has suffered from abuse? And there's silence. Yeah. yeah. No, no, this is serious though, right? This is a deep this is a deep issue. Um, what do you say to somebody who has suffered? And then you, you get in there and we we've been talking about this, how every when you're a shepherd and you work with people, you find out that nobody's alike. So um, if you need to, I'll come up with a scenario in my head and I'll give you I'll I'll just create more details if you want more questions. But but we can keep this general too. So how do you, what do you tell somebody? You know, pastors, um, I hear what you're saying about the gospel. Um, my dad and mom were really abusive parents to the point to where they would cuss at me and they would get drunk and they would hit me. And I was abused. And I, I'm learning now that, 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 what, how do I, like, why? I, you know, I would start, so if, if we want to start at the top of the gospel, I, I, re, I like to remind people first that God, God is holy and he hates that sin. Like he's not aloof to it. It's not like, oops, that happened. Yeah. Or he doesn't care. I think beginning I think beginning a discussion uh, to say that God being holy and being righteous he hates that with an infinite hate far even beyond yours and he feels it he knows it um and and I think that begins to help people trust God or at least give a little bit of rest to know that he, he he's not far off from from your situation um, that he doesn't want it either. He doesn't, in this case, abuse. He did not say, yes, that is a good thing that should have happened to you, even though he's going to bring out good in it. And I think that's where it goes to those two things. And when we begin talking about God, that God not only knows the situation, he understands the situation, he feels the situation more deeply than even than you understand, and what he's working out there is because he's also good, there's going to be good that arrives from that. So it's not evil to evil to evil, and, and there's no way to get out of this. But there is a good result that comes. God has such, and here now we're into sovereignty, God has such sovereign control of what's going on that he's able to take something that is wicked and evil and horrible um, and he, he's going to turn it out good. That's sovereign care of God. So it's, it's beginning. I think when you start a discussion about even something like abuse, you got to get sort of them off the situation for a moment and get them back to who God is, uh, to begin to address, um, uh, the situation and, and maybe some more specifics, but that's where I would start is talking about God, uh, before I start talking about, you know where we're going to go with this situation how you need to how we need to work this out 
Yeah, that, that's that's helpful. I agree with that. Um, and this is where, you know, for me, the incarnation is so important. Um, I think that's one of the most comforting doctrines that uh, is so important to the gospel. The gospel is not that just God saves, but that he actually put on flesh and walked among us and was tempted in every way and was abused himself. Uh, yet still was able to, on the cross, you know, care for his uh, abusers um, and love them and die for them. And, you know, number one, you realize, as you have said, that God, God, God is there with us. And that's one of the most important, most comforting things, that there is a sovereign God with, uh, with though we have suffered, though we have gone through the conflict, the trial, uh, we actually still have hope in him because uh, he suffers, you know, with us on the cross. And that that's why Christian identity is so important because when we identify with Christ and we are born again and Christ unites us to him, there's a unique sharing of that suffering when I think of the cross and what Christ went through and realize that I'm not alone in this suffering. Like even Christ was a victim to the sinfulness of the human heart. Um, yet he still put on flesh and he still suffered with us and still died for us. Um, and for and this is where it's like love does overcome like evil in the end. And God is is ultimately good and he does he does you know he does um, uh, he make he makes things right at the end, which is the beauty of God. Like it's not that the suffering is not real. It's that there's true hope in him and there's salvation and joy and eternal life in him. And so the suffering, though it's painful, it's temporary. It's light, it's light affliction in comparison to the weight of glory that we will experience. I think, I think that's the difference between Christian suffering and, and, and those who don't have Christ. I, I don't know how, I, I don't know how, um, I don't know how they. Oh, I think I'm cutting out of the mic here. Do you, sound, have, do you still hear me? Sound good to me? Oh, oh, it might be your your headset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A little technical problem. Yeah. So, here. so again, we're I think we're 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 sort of working through the gospel here, you know, because I mentioned God and we talk about man's sin, sinfulness because that's what got us into this, and then we're talking about Christ and we talk about then what is our response to to God and to Christ. And it's and it's really to follow his in his example, you know. I know First Peter two is talking particularly about suffering, but there is suffering in in abuse, if you want to call it that way. But we are to um, keep our behavior excellent. But we've also been called to suffer um, and follow Christ's example, who didn't sin in return to all that abuse. He didn't sin in return. To all those things, but rather he entrusted himself right to the one who judges righteously. So it's it's transfer it, it to a certain extent. It's transferring their guilt that you and their judgment that they deserve over to God to take care of them, and then it turns it back on you to how to respond to them. And we need to respond as Christ responded to his abusers. 
and he uttered no threats back to them. He uttered no sin back to them. He only ever offered them love and repentance. And I know that's very hard, especially when you have difficulty like being abused, uh, whatever version of abuse is. But Christ never responded. And he was the only person who suffered unjustly. Not to saying that your abuse is just. Not saying that. Because it's not. But it's it's rather entrusting yourself back to God that he will, for lack of a better term, he will get them. Uh, he will take care of them. And you need to live your life. This is the end of the gospel. How you respond to Christ and how you respond to God is going to determine then if you're living righteously before him as Christ did. And so that begins to be the beginning of that, to entrust their judgment to God, and you are not their judge. What they did was wrong, but you're not their judge. You need to live your life before Christ, and a lot of that's going to come in doing hard stuff by the power of the Spirit, like responding in return or not responding in return, loving them, praying for them. Again, these are all things Christ did. Uh, for his abusers. And so we, we look at Christ, we understand Christ, we understand what God has done in us, that we can now act like Christ, we can live like Christ toward those who have hurt us extremely. And that brings God glory, and that also rests our soul, that even though that was a horrible situation, God is turning us out for good. Yeah, th- those are wonderful answers, by the way. And just... To kind of summarize what you guys are saying, one, there's the recognition that in the gospel that God is holy and just, and he is the judge. And so uh, every human being has to give an account to him. And so the abuser is going to have to give an account to the Lord, just like the abused is going to have to give an account to the Lord. And what you guys were, were saying, too, is that the abused still has to have faith in God because the abused is still a sinful rebel before God. And we don't like to talk about that in that abuse situation because because the person they're surely victims. Yes, they are victims. Yeah, and Proverbs does say that people can be innocent victims, and so we need to recognize that people can be innocent victims, and yet they're still sinfully culpable before God. And so that gospel tells me that this person still needs to believe in Jesus Christ. Um, but what you went on to say, which I love, was that First Peter actually even then tells me if I'm the abused person that at some point I need to start to actually want that my abusers would get saved because God God died for people who were reviling him. You know, that while he's on the cross, he's going to end up saving a few of those people that put him there. And, uh, I mean, Paul's a perfect example. The guy, the guy is going to sit around the banquet table next to somebody that he had killed while he was Saul of Tarsus. And and that gospel, right, those people are going to actually rejoice that Paul is there in heaven because they're in the right mindset of, hey, even though, yes, Paul was evil on earth, man, that guy did, that guy came to know Jesus Christ and he found forgiveness and life. And, and I love what you guys are saying there because that, uh, that is a gospel-infused answer. The gospel has informed your your understanding of God as judge, God as holy, that we live in a sinful world, and because we live in a sinful world, people are going to do sinful things, that I personally still have to have faith in God, and that the right response is for me to think and act like God thinks and acts, 
And that requires wanting these people to be saved. Now, that doesn't mean you got to be best friends with them the rest of your life. Uh, it doesn't even mean you got to talk to them the rest of your life. You know, um, I, I certainly understand, you know, a couple goes through adultery and, and the one who committed the act of adultery, like I get, Hey, you want the other person that, that, you know, you want the other adulterer who's not in the marriage to come to faith, but, but it makes complete wisdom, practical sense that, 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 that let's say the husband was the adulterer, that the husband never talked to the adulteress again, the rest of his life. You know, it, it makes perfect sense for that relationship to be severed, severed completely so that there's no communication. Um, and, and that's, you know, but you still want her to get saved and that's hard. That's, it's really hard. I mean, and that's the thing it's hard until the spirit moves us to understand. And this is the thing I always kind of go back to with the gospel too, is I start to realize, man, how sinful am I before God? And yet he's, he redeems, he restores and he reconciles. And there's a part of you that goes, okay, Lord, if I'm still in unbelief in places in my life, you haven't stopped being gracious. That hasn't changed my relationship with you. Instead, all it's done is made me realize, hey, God is long-suffering and patient with me, so therefore i got to be the same way. Yeah, and you know, I want to go back to Paul for just a moment and, and re- just remind, remind ourselves that he, he, he was an abuser of the church. He was killing people for believing in Jesus. He was all in on that. And then after the Lord saved him, he became a pastor or maybe even the pastor of the first Gentile church in Antioch, which is, which is in the areas that he was persecuting believers. And so what you have there then is a man who is called to pastor a church of potentially people he abused. And he... Uh, he he uh, had suffered for the sake of the gospel, and yet by the time he's sent out in chapter 13 of Acts, and God calls him to then go on his missionary journeys with Barnabas, they all laid hands on him and sent him out. And when he returned to them after their first missionary journey, they wanted to hear all about it, and they were all in. So you have this even a reconciliation of with Paul, who was a murderer and an abuser, and God reconciled that relationship to the point that this man became their shepherd. And I'm not saying that always happens in every situation, but it shows that God, uh, God is is about that kind of a thing of reconciliation, of taking uh, those relationships that are absolutely broken um, and turning them around for something that is gospel ministry. So it's not only changing, but then you come together. And you do, and now Antioch becomes the sending church for the apostle Paul instead of the abuser Paul, which they originally knew him as. And so it's a precious example, even in the book of Acts, of, of seeing that happen. Yeah, uh, it's interesting in Philippians 2, it's, it's Christ is highly exalted because he suffered. And, and there's something about that that, that happens to believers. There's a supernatural love uh, in the in the gospel that that when we when the spirit causes us to believe and we understand the facets of the deep facets of the gospel and we apply it to our lives, um, 
there is something joyous at the end. Uh, and, and to say that God makes things right, right? I, I think we've been mentioning this, that it, it's, it includes that he judges perfectly also. And that's very comforting, right? Because um, no one likes hell except when people have to be judged, right? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, judgment has to happen. Condemnation has to happen for for sin. And so um, it, it balances the equation perfectly. Um, sinners will be judged, and sinners who repent um, can have eternal life. And so, again, it's it's about belief. It's 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 about trusting, devoting our lives to Him, um, and living that gospel truth out in our lives. So, yeah, I agree with everything that's that's been said. It's 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 rich and it's it's robust enough to 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 really handle all of life, not just. You know, it's 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 not just your ticket to um, your best life one day, right? Or even your best life now, but it's yeah, it's it's a life of love, lo- loving others. So yeah, and I, I love the text in Romans eight twenty six that talks about after it talks about all of our sufferings, you know, have affected creation, but it it talks about how it ho- it it looks forward to seeing our the all of creation looks forward to seeing our final redemption because it redeems creation, but it comes into verse 26 in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. So even when we're like, we don't even know how to pray for this person and what to do about this abuse that we've taken from them, the Spirit helps us, and he's interceding for us even when we have, we don't even know what to pray with them. Um, and he searches our hearts and minds. He intercedes for the saints, and that's when you get it. God causes all things to work together for good. That's where that text comes in. So we entrust ourselves, again, as Christ did, we entrust ourselves trust ourselves and the judgment of those folks back to Christ, or back to God to take care of their judgment and to take care of our souls, to rest in them. And he's there in our weakness when we are struggling the most with with our sanctification and our loving them and our caring for them as Christ loved for us. So it it's a it's back to Christ again. That's what it always is. Back to Christ over and over again. Christ will be your all in all, if you want to say it that way, when it comes to a hard situation yeah. like that. And again, it's not going to change your emotions. Your emotions are going to be all over the place because of the difficulty of that situation. Uh, but as we entrust ourselves to a faithful God who judges righteously and 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 the example of Christ he's given to us in and responding in a loving way and praying for them and desiring them for them to know Christ in the gospel as we do, that then the Spirit helps us in our weakness of wanting their condemnation now, as if as if that as if their condemnation right now will finally and fully finish our feelings about what happened, and that'll never happen until we see Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's a and that's a good point too. Like that person is going to have a range of emotions, and that's okay. You know, I think that's, I would be weirded out if you didn't have those range of emotions. And so um, ultimately what you hope is that the gospel continues to guide and to redirect those emotions back to rest and hope and love and not to anger, bitterness, and wrath. Um, But there are going to be days where you struggle with even what happened in the past. And I think Paul in first Timothy, we talked about this on the podcast before, you know, um, you know, Paul talks about his past a little bit and how he acted in unbelief. 
And that, that to me is that first Timothy 13 ish passage where Paul talks about how he used to be a persecutor of the church and how he um, acted in unbelief and ignorance. And now, you know, but Paul, but, but God was gracious to him and he found salvation and hope in Christ. And, and so, you know, even when Paul thinks that I, my guess is there were days where Paul probably cried about what he had done to God's church as a believer. And I mean, I'm only speculating, but Paul was still a human being and he was, he was normal like us. Uh, but, but that, that's where, that's where I hope all of us believers can kind of, you know, let the gospel shape our understanding of events. Um, and in, in a serious issue, issue like abuse, or an innocuous issue like children's church, you know the the reason for children's church, um, and I know there's a lot of details. One one thing I've learned about the church is um, the church is an organism that can be complicated because of people, and children's church can add a whole layer to that because there's just a lot there in 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 serving parents with their kids, but. Even with children's church, it all starts with the gospel. We are trying to teach your kids the gospel alongside your teaching of them of the gospel. And so even in children's church, it's right. The gospel still center. Even if you're greeters, there's a part of that where, you know, you're trying to be a friendly face to newcomers, to, to, to welcome people into the church. All of that is a part of the is needs to start with the gospel. Hey, we're happy you're here because we don't know you. We obviously think, you know, you're a visitor but you're going to hear the gospel today and we're excited for you for that. And by the way, we're here to serve you. And so no matter what we do, it all has to start with the gospel. And if it doesn't, then we need to rethink, we need to rethink what we're doing. And whether that be at church or whether that be Tuesday afternoon, which is let's say Tuesday is the dullest day of your work week. It still has to start with, you know what, this is the dullest day of the work week, but I'm doing this for the Lord. And so I'm going to, I'm going to work through this dullness today because I love you, Jesus Christ. And, and I want you to be honored. I think you would have a hard time in the Bible trying to find anywhere where the gospel is not informing your life. And again, we're back to that, whether it is the sexual morality in the church in first Corinthians five, the gospel informs that it, whether it's the, whether it's your work week and talking about Colossians uh, chapter three or the text that in first Timothy six, the gospel informs how you go about your work, um, how you deal with suffering. The gospel informs that again. And it's, and it's over and over again. How do you deal with fights and quarrels in the church? James four, the gospel comes in again. So he's given us this, what feels like this silver bullet. That's not the right word. It's just what I'm thinking of that. The gospel is the answer to your issue. Jesus is the answer to your issue, whatever it may be. And I think that was even true in the old Testament, uh, and this is why I think I love the Psalms. The Psalms, uh, their prayers, that some of them were put to music, and music is inherently emotional, but these prayers are emotional uh, prayers to God, even at times where it's, how long, O Lord, and why don't you punish the wicked, and what are you doing with them? And it's just the Psalm ends with this sort of God, or us beating on God's chest, and yet you end up in the Psalms, either at the beginning of each Psalm or at the end of each Psalm, or some, maybe somewhere in the middle, this I'm like in Psalm 73, which is a whole Psalm about why aren't you punishing the wicked? You come to the end of it and it's whom have I in heaven, but you, you know, as for me, the nearest of God is my good. I've made the Lord God, my refuge. 
you know, it's it's back to him again. So the solution to your issue, even though it doesn't seem apparent, is Christ again himself and what he's done for you in the gospel. And um, and, and that's why I think Paul keeps, that's why Paul said what he said. I'm, I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Because if you try to lean on anything else, you're go, it's going to fail and you're going to feel like nothing good is happening in life when only God is the one who will bring out good in the situation, and the way he's brought it about is in Christ through the gospel lived out in your life. I could hear someone pushing back. Well, there's so much in the Bible. I mean, is it just the gospel? You know what I mean? Like, how can it just be the gospel? And you said something earlier uh, last night, I think, Greg, where it's like people want to read through the Bible, but the question really is, what what are you learning? You know, and could you speak to that again? Um, that was really helpful. Yeah, I, you know, I every every beginning of every year, people ask me this. When I worked in youth ministry, in particular, I'd have students who are newly saved or whatever, and they're they want a Bible reading plan, and I think Bible reading plans are fine. I'm I'm not pushing against that by any means. It's cool. It's good to read through the Bible and know the whole story of redemption. But part of the reason I I think we go slow as as expositional preachers is because I want people to know what the Bible says. You know, I don't I don't I don't want them to know I don't want them to checklist themselves into I read the Bible today and or I've gotten through Jeremiah again or you know, I don't want them to know that I want them to know deeply what the Bible actually is getting at and what it's saying in each text. And that's why in expositional preaching, if if somebody comes up to me afterward and says, Great sermon, Pastor my question typically to them is, was the passage clear to you? Did you get what was being said? And that's the question I'm trying to get at. If it, We're trying to make this clear for you so that you understand what God has said, so you can understand what he's doing, so you can then live it out in your life. I want people to know what the Bible says, not just checklist themselves. You can, It's good to read through the Bible, and you should read through the Bible. Whether you do it yearly or two-yearly, I know that... Robert Murray Machine has um, a two-year reading plan, which I think is actually easier to do than uh, it takes a little more discipline because it's longer. But I think it's I think it's easier to do that because then you get the content of the gospel, and it's not just a checklist, or uh, you get the content of the Bible. I want people to know the Bible for what it actually is saying, and I think when you do that, when you're when you get into depth in the Bible, and you do your Bible study and not just Bible reading, although Bible reading has its place. Bible study, you begin to see what God is doing. And again, it, I'm telling you, it just all goes back to the gospel. I know it sounds so simplistic, but I think God has made it that simple for our own sinful sake because we have a hard time doing it, right? I mean, come on, if, if living the gospel was so simple and everybody was doing it, then we wouldn't need to keep talking about it. But the reason we're so sinful that we can't even get that simple concept down Live out the gospel, love people, pray for them, care for them, serve them, be humble toward them. This is why what Christ did feels so radical to us. It's not. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's actual Christian living. Uh, and, so, and so my point is I just want people to know what the Bible says. And that's why I go slower because I, I want to go through each text and when they look at the Bible and they've looked at something I've preached on, they understand it walking away from it. Yeah, we we are so easily distracted. I know in We're back to uh, Twitter again. Yeah, well Hebrews twelve <laughs> he talks about, you know, uh keep your eyes on Christ, run the race, 
um, because sin so easily entangles. And that what you're saying is so true that that's that's why we have to be gospel centered, because we are so easily led away by our unbelief, even on good things. Um, it's good to, to eradicate abortion, but eradicating abortion without the gospel, yes, it saves some lives, but does it? You know what I mean? Like, and again, if somebody don't don't hear me say I don't care about abortion, yes, like we want to get rid of abortion. But at the same token, um, we don't want to do that to the neglect of the gospel. And that's that's the issue. We we want to do we want to be about the gospel. Um, I'll let you get there when you get there in first Timothy six twelve, but when he says fight the good fight of faith in, in Greek, it's actually the faith. It's tos pisteos, and that is the he does, faith. He does that a lot in First Timothy. It's You don't see it so much in the English, but in Greek, there's a lot. Every time the faith pretty much comes up, it's the faith. Yes. Yep. Now, the way I learned it was that when he says fight the good fight of the faith, he's not necessarily, hey, fight to make sure you believe. He's, he's more saying be about the faith, almost like that's a uh, proper noun. Like, be about the message of the gospel. Be about what the church is about. And that that's what the church is about. The church is about the gospel because that's what changes lives. And that's what the Spirit uses to transform is a right understanding of the gospel and a response with belief that leads to repentance. And if there's no repentance, then the question is why? And that's usually because there's no real faith. Um, because belief forces us to change our thinking and our, and our living. And all that starts with, you know what? I need to fight for the gospel. And so for uh, even in a pastoral ministry, I don't know how you are, Greg, but sometimes I go on vacation and I'm like, man, I need the one thing I I've learned is man vacation. I love vacation and I hate vacation. (laughs) I love vacation because usually I'm worn out and I need, I need some physical rest. And that comes down to just, probably being a better manager of my time throughout and, life and body and body. Um, but also what I hate about vacation is I get so easily sucked into me and I'm like, well, but I want this. And you, you almost like, like there've been times where, I, where I've learned like, you know what, when you go on vacation, you can't let that mindset creep in. You've still got to be, you know what I'm here. It's just my wife and I, I've got to serve my wife. And I've got to love my wife and thank God for the rest. Thank God for this time. But you're, you're still a believer who has to fight the good fight for the faith. So, yeah. I was just going to go back to that. You talked about abortion there for just a second. There are countries in this world where abortion is illegal, like 100% illegal. Yeah. But they're not any better Christian. Yeah. You know, that's not the issue. I realize it's good to fight against that because we're talking about the murder of an innocent baby, but just by eradicating that all by itself doesn't mean that you have a, a Christian gospel nation. So the gospel has to come in and inform and has to change people's lives, which is why we're back to the gospel again. Yep. Yeah. Amen. That's, that's a really good point, by the way. Um, well, this was, this was good. Do we have anything else we want to add? We're doing good at anchor going all the way back to our, our, our yeah. thing. We're, we're five months into, brad's homecoming and um i've been preaching uh, just about every week i have i have a couple guys who've been filling in jason's actually going to fill in me for me this week and uh, and so that that rest is nice because then i don't have to think about how i'm going to go about 
you know, doing the sermonizing, but I can or just keep thinking about the shepherding, maybe in a unique way, or get some reading done, or some of the things. But it, it's been precious, and um, and it's been really sweet to to see our folks um, continue on with the church and with Christ and with uh, with this particular church and with me. Um, you know, I I loved being just a co-pastor. That's all I ever wanted to be. I was never, I honestly just never wanted to be the main teaching pastor. And when I had Brad. I mean, I found a gold mine, in my opinion, of, of a pastor who was experienced and who had all the the stuff and the goods that you wanted in a teaching pastor. And I wanted everything I could to just let him go. And I, and like I said, like I said way back at the beginning, I had another ten year plan for Brad, maybe twenty, of him just to, you know, the best years of his life of preaching. And I'll take care of everything else, Brad. You just go. And of course, the Lord had a different plan, and and there was a lot of fear that was that came uh, upon me to do this this work. Now that I, I was quite obviously called to do to do the main teaching, over, you know, week after week. And the the sweet part about that is that entrusting myself again back to God to say, "You want me to do this? Then you've got to strengthen me and give me the desire to do that." And I have found that I enjoy it more than I thought I would. And that, and and that's not me. That's that's not me enjoying the position. That's me finding joy in what God, where God has called me, and and that's been good. And so, I look forward to the future uh, of 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 our church in that way. I'll stay in this position as long as the Lord wants me to be in this position, and He will give me the strength and desire to keep doing it. And I'll keep doing it as long as He's called me to do that. But it's it's good, and I and I, I love my church. I'm very thankful for Anchor Bible Church. Uh, I have two good. Um, I have, I have, we have deacons now that have taken a number of, of areas of the church that I want, I would like to shepherd, but I, I can't, I can't do because my main role is, as you, as you guys at Cornerstone know, uh, to preach the word and pray and shepherd people, and so I can't quite get to all the other things. But I got deacons who are in charge of some of those things, and, and they are a blessing and faithful people, and and so I've been, I've been blessed in in, in having them there. But I am the only elder. I am the only shepherd. Uh, of our church, and and again, that's God's doing, and I trust Him, and and we're gonna keep we're gonna keep moving forward. And if another man comes eventually, that'd be awesome. But until then, I you know I have Jason and Gino to help me out when it comes to uh, maybe not on the ground stuff, but they understand from being pastors. And then I also have um, another Anchor Bible Church out in Louisville. Jack Hughes is the pastor there, uh, who I'm I'm regularly with, um, talking with, and and. He has been a huge help. He's he was Brad's actually best friend in seminary, and so that relationship was established with those two. And then now I have that friendship, and so Jason and Jack have become my offsite elders to, to help me, uh, not just with some accountability, but with a lot of information and know how to do this pastor thing and uh, solo pastor thing and church plant thing. And so they've been a lot of help. And um, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm so thankful. The Lord has been so kind, and I'm just gonna keep plodding away. Uh, at what I know I'm supposed to be doing, and trust Him with anything that needs to be added onto our church. But in, but I'm I, I pretty much like having a small church at this point. It's sweet, it's precious, and uh, we'll just see what the Lord does uh, going forward. But it's His church, and I keep reminding Him it's His church. Jesus will do what He wants to do with His church. Our job is to be faithful in doing what we're called to do by the power and gift of the Holy Spirit under the headship of Christ to the glory of God. Amen. Yeah, we pray for you regularly. Well, I love you. I know the Vegas people were excited we got to come out, and uh, we're glad to be here. So, 
But I think, uh, yeah, fight the good fight of the faith, not just for us. But that's a, that's a good prayer for your pastors. Lord, keep keep our pastors focused on that fight. Um, keep not only our pastors, but, you know, if you came to me and said, how do I pray for Anchor? How do I pray for Greg? You know, keep fighting the good fight of the faith. And um, pray that for yourself. Lord, may, may my wife and I, or my spouse and I, fight the good fight of the faith in our family, with our kids, um, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. Uh, Lord, help us to, to stay focused on the central thing. Uh, don't, please don't let my heart become so easily entangled in, in unbelief. And um, help me to keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And, uh, yeah, may, may we be churches that filled with individuals um, who want to know nothing but Christ and him crucified and, and want other people. Uh, even the most vile, sinful people to come to faith. I'd love to have a prison ministry because we fought the good fight of the faith. You know what I mean? So, yeah. All right. Well, we love you. We're going to do some end song. And uh, if you got questions or anything, never hesitate to ask. Mm-hmm.